Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 17, the one about cold messaging, tech resets, event apps, and die hard. Let's get on with the show. And welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're back here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And I'm joined by the man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast, and the host of the Roger Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be back. It's great to be back. And of course, my co-host is also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Here is Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, Roger. And thank you to you, viewers and listeners, for your wonderful support. We love the comments and feedback. We know that you like the segment. So let's begin with In the News. Disney Plus has released a co-viewing experience called Group Watch, allowing up to seven people to try out social viewing during lockdown and to share reactions using emojis. While Facebook is rolling out options for businesses to sell products using WhatsApp via Facebook Shop and in the process completing its unification of the shopping experience across Facebook apps. Zoom recently announced that they will offer the option to host live events and sell tickets. The service will be called On Zoom, and the news was first revealed at the virtual Zoomtopia user conference. What a name. So according to Bloomberg.com, YouTube is so inundated with political adverts that it cannot place them all in front of the desired audience. The situation prompted a code yellow alert, an internal label that assigns more urgency to projects. The latest IPA bellwether survey shows that UK businesses have continued to cut marketing budgets during the third quarter of the year, with only 3.8% of respondents able to report an increase in available spend. The Committee of Advertising Practice is considering banning celebrities, sports people and social media influencers from appearing in gambling adverts to limit appeal to young people. As a potential sign of things to come, ITV has recently restructured in order to put more emphasis on streaming services, which currently include the Hub Catch-Up platform, Adfree Hub Plus and BritBox. Finally, a couple of weeks ago, LinkedIn rolled out LinkedIn Stories globally and reaction remained mixed with the users unsure whether it is adding Instagram-like glamour or more clutter. Mm. Should we talk about Instagram Stories then? Yes. I I woke up, I think it was Tuesday this week, and I, oh, look, there are circles at the top of my uh, LinkedIn app. So, of course, I realized that I'd been given access to, to LinkedIn stories. Now, they're not as... Uh, sophisticated as as Instagram stories. There aren't as many options. You can literally post a little video, you can post a photograph, you can add stickers, and you can add text, and it's pretty much it. There's none of the um, bazillion different features that you get on Instagram stories. And, and funnily enough, like all week, pretty much everybody within uh, <laughs> my ecosphere has got access to LinkedIn stories. And most of the stories that people have been posted have been, oh, I've got Insta I've got LinkedIn stories. And that's it. Um it, it the jury's out. I, I I'm not sure whether it's the sort of thing that LinkedIn people really want. I mean I quite like the story functionality. I'll I'll give it a try and see what happens. But you know, 
we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see whether people adopt it, whether it, they'll use it to show people behind the scenes to their business or whether they'll just play with it for a few days and then ignore it. Yeah, I, I'm unsure myself. You know, I, I love keeping it almost like a, a research project, like a watching brief, if you will, Roger. For me, it's kind of this idea of discussion you and I had before, which is each platform should provide a different experience and you should be able to do different things. And I know that stories do well within the Facebook ecosystem, which was mentioned in the news roundup a moment ago. And it was never missed uh, on LinkedIn. I mean, I don't remember uh, even LinkedIn asking people, would you like it and would you use it? And and if so, what for? Uh, I think there are more pressing features and more, uh, I would say, you know, relevant features for the LinkedIn. Hmm. Yeah. Having said that, I did say, you know, is it, it's just dumb, isn't it, that LinkedIn has copied Instagram stories? And, and one of my friends said, well, actually, I quite like the functionality in Instagram stories, but I don't really have any of my customers on Instagram, but I've got loads of customers on LinkedIn. And therefore, I'm really pleased that I've got effectively the same thing now on LinkedIn. So there are people out there who are, are, are really happy that this has happened. Thanks for that, Roger. So can I ask you about Zoom and on Zoom? To begin with, what do you make of the name? Because uh, you made me laugh, the name of their conference, Zoomtopia. Zoomtopia. Yeah, it's uh, it, it sounds a bit sci-fi, doesn't it? It sounds a bit sci-fi. Um utopia. I get I guess uh, the 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 high ups at Zoom must be feeling as if they are in utopia at the moment because pretty much everything seems to come back to Zoom these days, doesn't it? Um I I quite like the idea, although it's not available yet in the UK, is it that we will be able to sell tickets. Um to events that we run on Zoom, um, and presumably they'll they'll be able to link it into things like PayPal and Red Stripe and stuff like that to allow us to do it. Um, I think you can already fudge payments by using something like Calendly to link to um, link into Zoom. Okay. But the the ability the ability to effectively create it all within the same app will be will be will be pretty good. I think. Yeah, I mean, what what I will want, though, I will say is, um, I think Zoom could do with more, you know, kind of uh, design elements to it, or, you know, so mm -hmm. you could actually apply your own brand, or your own kind mm -hmm. of color schemes and so on. Because obviously, at the moment, we have the, the window, uh, and then a lot of black area around you. And I yeah. think if we could kind of, um, yeah, um, make it more, you know, in line with your branding, in addition to doing live events that you could charge for, I think that would be uh, quite, quite interesting. Yeah, I think there are quite a lot of apps out there that offer similar experiences to Zoom. And funnily enough, I'm going to talk about a few of those when we get to the marketing tech and apps okay. section. Uh, but yeah, Zoom is quite basic in its customability, isn't it? Customization, you can't really do much with it. Not at all. So let me ask you then to close on our review of the news. Disney Plus, yep. but also the use of language such as co-viewing and social viewing. Why not just say watching movies with your friends? Oh, it's it's just it's just jargon, isn't it? It's just jargon. We we I think one of the things about the COVID crisis is it's just made everybody start spouting jargon more and more and more. You know, we hear all of these these phrases like uh, lockdown and and things like that, and they just seem to find their way into the English language and become deep rooted. And yeah, you're right. Why say co-viewing? Why say that social viewing? Just say watching with friends. You know, it's I, I, I 
I'm always going on about this in my own <laughs> podcast and in my speeches. But, you know, you don't go around talking jargon when you're meeting your friends and family. So why should you do it in your corporate communications? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't explain any less from the man who's behind a movement to keep marketing simple. Thanks very much again for, you know, the news. Let's move on now to our next segment, the content spotlights. And in this segment, Roger and I surprise each other with a little gem from the interweb. So what have you got for me today, Roger? Okay, Pascal. Now, this article caught my attention for a couple of reasons. First of all, I like the headline. And the headline is, Six Reasons Your Cold Messaging Efforts Fail and Why It Matters. And and, and the second thing is it, that it caught my attention for was because I've been getting a lot of cold emails recently. Now, um, this probably hasn't started happening to us in the context of the uh, of Two Geeks and Marketing podcast, but I'm constantly, day in, day out, getting inundated with cold emails from podcast guest agencies, Pascal. Oh, right. And in, in, there are hundreds of these agencies all over the world, and they basically get people to sign up to them, and then they pitch those people around podcast hosts to try and get them on their shows. And honestly... A year or so ago, I maybe got one a week. Now I'm getting up to 10 a day, and they are starting to drive me insane. Uh, primary because the people that they pitch to me are, are completely irrelevant for my particular audience. You know, I, I don't need a ball-bearing manufacturer on a marketing and finance podcast, but that but that but that's a bit of a tangent. But it, it, just, it just made me want to read this article about cold messaging because I'm, I'm just – inundated with cold messaging all the time at the moment whether it's on email whether it's on linkedin direct message or wherever and and i guess i'm in two minds about the article because what it's saying is here are the things that you shouldn't do in order to make sure that you get a better response now i'm a bit i'm a bit tied by that because half of me doesn't want people to improve them because that means there'll be even more of them but <laughs> let, let let's bear let's bear with it so obviously cold calling, cold messaging, whatever you want to call it, we all know what that means. It's when you haven't got a relationship with the person you're going to talk to and you're effectively trying to introduce yourself with a view to eventually doing business with that individual or that company. And and they've, they've got these six things. Now, I'll go through them very, very quickly and we can ha maybe have a bit of a laugh about it to a certain extent. So the first thing to make sure you don't do is to use the wrong name or the wrong company. Now, again, that happens so often. Often, doesn't it you know I'm often called Bob or or Ted or something like that and and and, and the one that always gets me is they'll spell Roger with a D R-O-D-G-E-R -E when my name is R-O-G-E-R so that winds me up straight away or of course they forget to even put a name in or it's dear Roger Edwards or dear Roger Edwards marketing guru or whatever it is because they've picked it out of um, LinkedIn so Make sure you get the name right and the company name. I mean, it's basic stuff, isn't it? But so many people get it wrong. And then the second one is over-familiarity. Now, again, you know, you don't know somebody, and yet your first line on the email is, hey, how are you doing today? Hope you and your family are coping with the COVID crisis. Now, okay, maybe that's quite polite, but it is, it is a bit over-familiar, isn't it? Do you really need to do that? Um, I mean, it does wind me up a little bit. Just get to the point straight away. Number three, no call to action. 
Now, obviously, a lot of them do have a call to action. Buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, even though you have got no rela- relationship with them. But do you, sometimes they do have this mass of text and you do start reading. I, mean, I, of, I often read these things just to see if I can learn anything from them. And then you'll get to the end and you think, well, actually, they're not asking me, asking me to do anything. Um, then, of course, the complete opposite side of the coin, you've got the unreasonable call to action. You know, uh, I'll give you a call in 15 minutes. Is that okay? Well, of course it isn't. You know, that sort of thing. Um, or can we book an initial call to talk about this? Well, you know, I don't know you from Adam. I've never, I didn't invite this conversation and, and you're still, you know, you're, you're wanting to have a chat with me immediately. And, and the last two lack of customization and lack of research and, and lack of research is, I, I, I do find that quite a lot in my, uh, in those emails that come to the podcast guest agencies they'll say oh uh, we loved episode 33 which was your interview with Dave Smith Um, and Dave Smith was talking about lawnmowers and of course Dave Smith hasn't been on my podcast and I wouldn't have somebody talking about lawnmowers anyway mm. you know so so they, they they obviously haven't done or they try to make you think they've done some research but it's quite easy to trip them up there was one the other day that said love that interview with um Dave Smith and 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 what he was saying about this point and so I just replied and said and what did you think about Dave Smith's opinion on Zoom calls and of course I didn't get an answer because they hadn't actually listened to the yeah. podcast so so if you're going to cold email and cold message those are the six things in this article uh, and the article was in Forbes magazine I should have said that written by Chris Smith uh, just please try to get those six things right and then you've got a better chance of not really annoying me you'll have a, a a chance of only annoying me a little bit no well do you know listening to you obviously i'm, I'm remembering everything that's happening to me uh, uh, the last few weeks now i'm not getting yet the uh, podcast you know kind of agencies but i'm getting the content agencies so we get an email roger um and usually f- uh, v- from a very strange email address you know, so it's at gmail.com and they claim to be part of a, a big agency actually when you go and check the url of the website usually their blog is from 2018 it's not being refreshed <laughs> you don't know who's working behind it they don't have a linkedin profile but they would say things like i read your article on xyz and i would like to you know submit another article similar to that content but as you know roger i only do video blogging i don't write so i'm not sure how they can read my article articles albeit i do have some show notes but like you, you know they, they, they try and suggest that they, they've spent some time on it and for me where you know obviously uh, i i kind of agree with you i want to actually use my content marketing as as a vehicle to showcase my connections and essentially build the community together and to have complete strangers jumping on a, a podcast a video cast or a, a you know, it just contrary to how I want to do my content marketing, and I just feel that people need to respect that more. Yeah, somebody drew an analogy with it. You know, if you go on a date with somebody, <laughs> you know, you might start with a drink, you might progress to a meal, you know, and then eventually you might go into the bedroom. And it, it the, the analogy is, it's almost as if a lot of this cold messaging is just, "Hey, how are you doing? Let's go straight to bed," and and that just doesn't work. That just doesn't work. 
in most cases. And, and people must and build their network and they must extend their reach. I, I, I'm the first one to agree to that and will apply my time accordingly. But there, there's, there are ways and means. And I, and I think, I wonder whether this maybe comes from a younger generation of, of business owners and, and business leaders, or quite simply, it's just a task to get off your desk. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I've got to send out 100 emails today. Mm. Bang, 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 bang. That's the way it probably is. So, Roger, today um, I want to talk to you about a, a written article which is actually based on a report from the market research company called Gartner, which I'm sure you've come across uh, as a name, uh, kind of you know doing a lot of market intelligence and and kind of industry insights. The website that reviewed the art, uh, the report, should I say, is Tech Republic. I tend to kind of deep in and out of Tech Republic to just find some news, and I try as possible to let my customers know. Uh, know what, what's coming around the corners and very often Tech Republic can give you some very good insight but on this one they reviewed the, the report from Gartner looking at the top 10 predictions for 2021 based on the fact that they would argue that the pandemic has accelerated digital transformation and the adoption of new technology. Now the um, the lady who kind of reviewed it actually the, what is interesting on their website they had a video to give an overview of the article, then the article, of course, a link to the main report. So Tina Maddox is the um, Associate Managing Editor of Tech Republic. She was interviewed by one of her colleagues, and she gave a quick overview of the top 10 predictions. Now, I'm not going to go through all 10, because I don't want to obviously steal the thunder, but also time is against me. But I'm going to go through four um, and get a reaction. And I've got a special one at the end, just to get your reaction as well. So these are uh, predictions for what's going to happen in, in and around 2004, 2005, but that's been brought forward because of pandemic and how people have been using, obviously, um, technology more. So the first one, by 2024, 30% of businesses will run out of storage for their data. And they will actually accelerate the use of a DNA storage. DNA as in artificial DNA, but we talk about the real stuff, you know, DNA, whereby gigabytes of um, data can be stored into a cell, literally. I know, that's, that's been you know, incredible. Another prediction as part of the top 10, by 2025, 40% of physical experience-based businesses will improve and get back on track financially by extending with paid virtual experiences. So essentially, those who are in the retail industry suggest that they're going to come back and have a revival, but they're going to be doing so by almost, you know, what we discussed a moment ago with on Zoom, where people will pay to maybe attend a fashion show organized by that brand and so on and so forth, which I thought was fascinating. There's one for you as well. By 2025, customers would be the first humans to touch more than 20% of all products and produce in the world because usually automation would have been how those products and produce would have been you know, delivered to them. So the prediction is that when you get a package in future, uh, Roger, you might be the very first human to touch the package because everything else before that was a machine. <laughs> and then final one from the top 10 before my little surprise to you by 2025 customers will pay a freelance customer service expert to resolve most of their customer service issues so you're on kind of VAPA just to have a go at BT or Virgin or something like this that sounds like a new cottage industry, doesn't it? It does a bit, yeah. There's probably a lot of money involved in that because let's face it, some of the service being given by companies like BT at the moment 
is oh well let, let's face it service and companies like bt has been crap for it forever but now during the covid crisis it's even worse and they just blame covid for this but the but the, the possibility of actually paying somebody to do the complaining on my behalf had never occurred to me before <laughs> but i can see how that might develop yeah. all, all of these are interesting i mean the dna one was almost quite scary um but the time frame they're talking about here isn't long. We're talking about five years, 2024, 2025. And I do often wonder whether, you know, a, a lot of the time when it comes to technology, we often think things are going to happen a lot faster than they are, but actually things don't take as long as they as as they may in, uh, be planned to do. So I'm not sure 2025 is the, is the right sort of frame for this. It seems, seems to me that some of that, the DNA one particularly, is going to be a, f- a bit further away. Mm, well, we shall see, yes. Um, I just, you know, I had to read the article several times and look into it to understand. I mean, I don't understand the technology, but I know that they've done it. These are artificial cells, by the way, and DNA is not. Uh, yeah, although, yeah. you know, we're perhaps close to having our own uh, me- you know, memories. But um, <laughs> the very last one for you, Roger. Now, I want to remind our viewers and listeners that Roger is the man behind keeping marketing simple. Bear this in mind as I read this prediction. And then if you uh-huh. have the luxury of watching it on YouTube, pay attention to Roger's you know, reaction. And if you're listening to a podcast, just imagine Roger's reaction as I read the following. By 2025, traditional computing technologies will hit a digital wall, forcing the shift to a new paradigm such as neuromorphic computing. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is just typical, typical corporate gobbledygook, isn't it? So management speak, mumbo jumbo, techno babble it's it's the sort of it's the sort of thing you would hear in an episode of star trek or doctor who you know we've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow it doesn't mean anything it's just made up words to make them sound clever so just for those of us who prefer the english language and forgive me i'm not attacking tech republic or gartner (laughs) i get it's not it's probably a very simple language to them but for all of us it just means that ai and speech recognition and machine learning will become more more prominent yeah, so why not just say <laughs> that? <laughs> so thanks again, Roger, for looking into you know that little article and uh, responding to these top 10 predictions from Gartner. But on the subject of technology, shall we move on to marketing and techs? Let's do that. So this is the marketing tech and app segment. Every week, Roger and I surprise each other with one or two tech solutions or even gadgets that can make life easier. So what have you got for us this week, Roger? Okay, Pascal, earlier we were talking about Zoom and how in the future we're going to be able to charge for running events on Zoom. Funnily enough, my tech and apps this week are about events. Now, this week I was uh, speaking at a, at a conference. It was called the Social uh, the Social Media and Marketing Show, uh, put together by Hashtag Events. I've done quite a few of their live events over the year, run by a really nice bloke called Andrew Charlton. So, uh, hi, Andrew. And this was obviously totally online. And they used two different apps to run this event. And I thought it was really good. So, I actually had a look into these apps. 
apps. Now, they're not cheap, so you're not probably not going to use these unless you're a bigger company and you want to put on fairly su- substantial events, you know, talking hundreds and potentially thousands of people. But they are really interesting. And, you know, Pascal, you were saying before that Zoom isn't that customizable. Well, these event, these these apps that I'm going to talk about are very customizable. So the majority of the conference was run on an app called Eventy, event with an extra e at the end, eventy.co. And if effectively it's all it, it it's almost like you, you you put together your agenda and each each speech or each workshop can be streamed into the app on as, as a live video from somewhere like uh, YouTube or, or 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 a platform like Restream and people effectively join the conference by logging on so they get their own uh, profile and they can interact with the with the speaker so the beauty of it is is that i pre-recorded my talk and they streamed it live but i was actually in the session as it was being broadcast and talking to the people that were watching the talk and i, th- I think that was that's quite that's quite interactive and it's quite nice in the sort of world that we live in because even though I wasn't physically doing it live at that moment I was still there in person able to interact and and then people can actually network in between talks simply by you know they can they can see somebody who who they like the profile just like they would on LinkedIn I guess or or, or what or any social media platform and then they can have a, a video call or they can do a, a messaging type call all within the same app and and of course it it only lasts for the duration of the conference and then it disappears um now you there, there are options to allow you to to keep the speeches there etc etc but the interactive bit will 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 disappear at the end of the conference and and that's quite good because you know sometimes on social media what you do is permanent and your interactions are permanent whereas this is encapsulated within that particular event so i thought it was a really nice platform and it worked really well the second one and i have seen this before is called airmeet airmeet.com and what they did is they they ran a, a, a end of conference networking session using this app and the difference between this one and eventy is that it, it it's almost like a virtual um conference area with split into tables you know how you go to a conference and they have round tables with 10 people on each table well this app is is set up like that and you effectively go in and you decide where to sit just like you would if you go into a big you know youpreneur summit you decide i'm going to sit over there with those nine people whatever it might be and you actually sit on the table and then all the people who are sat at that table they're little video images pop up just like they would perhaps in a zoom call but it's much more sort of uh, uh, themed to it to that environment and you can discuss people you can discuss with the people on that table within the 10 or you can move to a different table or you can engage one-to-one with that and i just thought that they this is really quite successful in replicating the real life networking that you do get at a in life event in a virtual platform now as i say these are not these are not cheap apps you know you're not going to spend 15 dollars a month to use these you're talking hundreds maybe thousands of pounds but if 
if that's what you're looking for and you are a bigger company and you are looking to host something a little bit more sophisticated than Zoom, then I would check out Eventy and AirMeet. Oh, thanks very much for that. I didn't know uh, them. I knew others, but not those. And importantly, you remind us about you know networking. I mean, ultimately, I think at, the mo- at this moment in time, most platforms focus on the speaker or you know the presenters, but th- we have to also look after the experience of the attendees and, and networking, yes. the ability to have a chat and during the coffee breaks and so on is usually uh, where actually most people uh, make meet the, the right contacts and connections. Bear in mind your earlier comments around call emailing or call calling, but also if you think about how you built your business and how you built you know your brand is usually during those chats with others, not just listening politely to the presentations. Yeah, absolutely. So, Roger, well, I've got, I'm going to continue, if you don't mind, with the yep. Chrome extensions. Uh, I will okay. exhaust them very soon. And just to be clear to our viewers and listeners, I'm not suggesting you should use all the extensions I'm mentioning. I'm just going through a bit of uh, rediscovery of what I used to know, used to use, and hopefully making life a little easier for yourself. So, you know that curation is important in, the, in in content marketing. We do our fair share for the two gigs, but also for the different video series and podcasts that we run. And we have different ways and means to do so, but sometimes you just want to work a bit faster. And there's an app called Panda, very much like the cuddly animal, although I'm told they're not so cuddly. Uh, you have to be very careful <laughs> not to approach them too quickly. But essentially, Panda will allow you to shortlist your go-to news websites and display the latest news articles in a way that is very easy to, to use, is very easy to scan, read, and only pick the articles you want to mention, for example, a news roundup or even just you know, to tweet about and so on. So it's very visual. It's very kind of uh, interesting to to look at, and it can be just a bit easier sometimes to use than, for example, Flipboard, which I have. You know, I use Trello as well, and a few others. And and this, in the spirit of Panda, is about you know speed of execution. There's two versions, of course, as you would expect. There's the Google Chrome extension. There's also the web version. So feel free to you know experiment with both, but that could be very helpful for you. At the heart of it, really, is because you know curation is becoming an important activity for you. You could also delegate that by having a, a single account, and so on and so forth. So. That's the number one one number one option. Next is obviously well, if you want to use a curation tool such as Panda and any others, you need to obviously find those news websites. And sometimes that can be a little tricky. Although yes, Google will be your friend. So there is something called Similar Web. Now Similar Web started life actually as a tool for SEO because it would analyze website rankings and traffic figures and give you some notions about you know where the traffic came from. But they have also a feature free of charge which allow you to find similar websites to your favorite website. So let's say for argument, uh, Roger, you found an amazing news website by the world of financial management and the likes. You could copy and paste your URL into their search function and it will come up with a report showing similar website based on keywords and content themes. So that can also accelerate and help you save time in finding your go-to news website for curation. Again, you want to be seen to be well connected, well researched. You want to be, you want to be able to quote different brands and, and different websites, and maybe sometimes not always go for the the same brands everybody else. You know, I mean, if you work, for example, in business, to always quote the same as everybody else can sometimes be seen as just a me too. Here, you are in a position to actually surprise your audience with something very different. So, Panda as you were to curate, but to find the news website, I would recommend Similar Web. 
I like the sound of that second one in particular, and I'll tell you why. I, I'm, and again, I'm a big fan of um, Flipboard and, and, and such like. But what I do find is that because they, they try so hard to find things that they think you'll like that I think that they unintentionally create confirmation bias in a lot of people. You know, it'll learn the articles you like, it may learn your particular political persuasion, and it'll give you articles which you will genuinely agree with. And, and I think one of the things we have to do as individuals all the time is seek out contrary views to what we feel, especially from a political point of view, I guess, at the moment. And and I think that something that like you've described there, which might open my eyes by giving me access to something else, which I might not have found had I just used those websites that I've been using for ages, which have effectively t- drawn a circle around the sort of stuff that, I, that I'm given access to. No, I think you're right. And the other thing that I'm finding with Freeboard, I mean, I've been using it for years. I'm a huge fan. But now for myself, I've been to discount more articles than actually using them. There's something strange happening at the moment where either they try and, and share a bit too much, or like you said, it seems to be very, you know, the, the same as what I've seen a day ago. It doesn't mm. seem to change very often. Or, or mm. quite simply, sometimes it's simply off topic. Uh, I found myself having to pass more than actually, oh, yes, I'd use that once. So that's what I've been looking at. Um, and I think it's part of what we should do, all of us, is to kind of refresh your toolkit from time to time. Definitely, definitely. Excellent. Well, listen, shall we move on to what I believe to be your favorite segment, Roger, This Week in History? In 1895, German scientist Wilhelm Röntgen takes the first X-ray pictures by accident. He'd been experimenting with electricity, but failed to turn off the machine, which then overheated and emitted rays, which would revolutionise modern medicine. Wow. Well, in 1906, the first international radio telegraph conference is held in Berlin to set international standards for ship-to-shore communication, leading to the adoption of the official SOS distress signal as the worldwide standard for help. In 1988, Robert Morris of Cornell University is sentenced to three years probation and a $10,000 fine for an experiment that went wrong during which over 6,000 government computers were infected by a worm virus. Oh dear, well in 1989, the final episode of Black at a Ghost Fourth airs in on BBC One shortly before Armistice Day. Entitled Goodbye, it was the very last episode of Blackadder to be produced and was praised for its powerful and memorable ending. In 1990, Dances with Wolves premieres in Los Angeles, starring and directed by Kevin Costner. This surprise box office success won seven Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. In 1999, Business.com becomes the most expensive domain name sold in history, Bought for $7.5 million, it is still ranks in the top 10 of all times, most expensive domain names, with Voice.com currently at number one. My goodness. In the year 2000, Pets.com becomes one of the biggest failures of the dot-com bubble. Despite an extensive marketing campaign and a sock puppet (laughs) as a mascot, it went into liquidation due to an unsustainable business plan. And in 2008, Barack Obama becomes the first African-American to be elected president of the United States, defeating Republican candidate John McCain. Incredible. Blackadder goes forth. Yes, I mean, I love all the Blackadder series, but that one particular, and they write that ending brings tears to my eyes every single time. 
I, uh, I mean, Blackadder is probably one of my favourite series of all time. I think that the writing and the comedy was was just incredible. You know, all of those lines like uh, "as cunning as a fox" who was professor of international <laughs> cunning planning at Cunning University, all of that sort of thing was just genius. But yeah, that last scene, which they they filmed in a studio, probably less about the size of my my study here apparently I, uh, uh, Rowan Atkinson described that in a in an interview at one point but the way they did it the lighting the, the the flashes the special effects the smoke and then it just faded didn't it into a field of poppies and I, I get tears in my eyes every time I see the, that, that episode yeah. it's, it's staggeringly powerful and of course by the time we um you know, publish this um, episode would be approaching the 11th of November date as yep. well, which I think very significant. But uh, just to kind of spend some time on, on that, you know, Blackadder, for me, it was actually a very important point about the power of the editing mm. and, and what you can convey. Because actually, when it was all said and done and the, the footage had been captured, the actors and directors were nonplussed. Actually, they found that they'd messed it up. But the editor saw something in there and that you said a crossfade to the uh, field of poppies is just everything isn't it absolutely incredible i mean and and, and a simple idea really um mm. but just as you say it just proves that that little edit made such a massive difference can we talk about accidents so you began with a very happy accident the x-ray you know was invented by accident and as you mentioned you know changed modern medicine forever but then i feel sorry for that poor robert morris who was trying to essentially study how viruses work on computers and created one of the worst one in 1988 <laughs> i know and well serendipity is the, the word for a happy accident isn't it i suppose robert was as it was an unhappy accident to a certain extent. Because he was trying, you know, to essentially say how it worked and what we could learn and do about it. But bless him, that didn't go so well. But I had forgotten, you know, how successful Dances with Wolves uh, had been. Seven, seven Oscars. That's something else, isn't it? Uh, when, I, when you were actually, when we were talking about that before, I was thinking, wow, that is incredible. And it's not a film I, I think of that often. You know, we we often have conversations before we hit record for this podcast, which film should we do next week? And I, I don't think I've once thought about Dances with Wolves, but it is such a good film. It's such a good film. It reminds me of another good film, which was had a similar theme, which was A Man Called Horse yeah. from the, I think that must have been the film in the 60s or the 70s, starring Richard... Harris, perhaps. Indeed. Um, incredible film. That's one I'm going to have to look up because I've not seen A Man Called Horse for years. Just love the way these conversations go. <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> I highly recommend if you've not seen the director's cut of Dances with Wolves. I mean, it's, it, makes, it makes it for a much longer movie, but in terms of his relationship with uh, his newfound friends, you know, uh, it's just, well, uh, I would agree. But just to close, when I kind of captured this um, item about pets.com, Yes. And the fact that they went belly up because they didn't have a business, I would argue, uh, plan. I thought, I bet Roger's going to have a rice mouth thinking, I've told you so, you need strategy, <laughs> not just a Absolutely. sock puppet. <laughs> Absolutely. But but the, the, the dot-com uh, bang bubble, what, whatever you call it, was, was a classic example of probably quite interesting business ideas, but ridiculous amounts of money thrown at these companies who had no 
plan, no strategy at all. And they just, they, they failed because they didn't have the strategy. And we still see it going on today. And we still see it going on today. And I'll not stop going on about it, Pascal. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, let's move on to people who get it right. Our contest creator shout-out is next. In this segment, Roger and I select one content creator and we want to celebrate their work and their commitment to their community. So Roger, who have you got this week? Okay, Pascal, I'm going to give a shout out for a lady called Salma Jaffrey. Now, Salma focuses on helping people to be good on video. And, you know, I like playing around with video. I've got my own YouTube channel. You very kindly mentioned the Rog vlog series at the start of each show. And I do the odd marketing made simple video as well. But I have a running joke with myself that I have a face for radio, um, you know, because I, I sometimes just don't feel comfortable with my great big shiny bald head being on screen when there are so much more attractive people with hair around it and, and this, that and the other. Um, and, and, and different people have different hang-ups about how they look. And I've been watching Salma's videos for quite a few years now, and she's got a very engaging personality, and I, and I love the subjects. And, and she was meant to be speaking at a conference that I was going to – or sorry, I'll, I'll rephrase that. She was speaking at a conference I was going to in the UK, uh, and, then, and then I got invited to speak at another conference in Serbia. So I disappeared off to Serbia, and I never got, actually got to see her in person. But as it turned out, something went wrong with the, her visa, and she couldn't come to the UK in the end, and she ended up doing her presentation virtually and this is a couple of years before covid so she was a pioneer in that respect uh, but her, her videos are really engaging but this particular one that caught my attention this week was has a great title of how to make youtube videos without showing your face so if you feel that you've got a, <laughs> a face for radio then this is a great video that you can use and, and in fairness you know in fairness i quite I, i've got used to pointing the camera at myself almost like the 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 selfie uh, the video and and I've I've become comfortable with it. I still feel a bit of a prat sometimes wandering around Edinburgh with a camera in my hand, but I I've sort of got over it. But if you look on YouTube, there are a lot of YouTubers often YouTubers with hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of subscribers, and they don't show their face. You know there's a whole genre of travel videos where Whoever is filming it, you never see their face, and all, and they don't even speak either. They they actually put titles on the screen, like "I arrived at the airport," "I was flying with British Airways," whatever it might be. And these people are making engaging videos, which are getting lots and lots and lots of subscribers and lots of views. So it it made me think: you you don't have to show your face, whatever you might think about your face, you don't have to show it. So it made me laugh, and I thought that was a lovely little video for. So check it out. The the um, link to the video will be in the show notes, as is always the case with the podcast. So check out Salma Jaffrey on YouTube. You know, I'm so, so pleased you bring that up, actually, because it is a fact that, you know, there's no obligation to be on camera to produce an engaging bit of content. Indeed, you could just, you know, look at all the directors and producers working in the film industry. They're not in front of the lens. There's no requirement to be to be a performer. So I would definitely share that with my customers because I am looking at ways to encourage people to go ahead and become visual storytellers without necessarily being the performer themselves. So thanks for that, Roger. Really appreciate it. So 
So, well, my content creator and whose work I want to celebrate is Colin Gray. Colin Gray is the founder of thepodcasthost.com and also the creator of Alitu, the podcast maker solution. And the reason why I wanted to kind of mention Colin, perhaps long overdue, is because by now he must have one of the biggest and richest website when it comes to all things podcasting. He began This began as a hobby in the um, early 2010s, and as you know, it's now become you know a fully fledged business consultancy and coaching. Uh, and the, the, I mean, what he has covered over the years uh, in around podcasting is quite simply uh, staggering. I believe that now um, he has over five hundred articles. I mean, articles. You know, these have been written. He, he has, of course, his own podcast series, uh, Podcraft. But in terms of the articles. And if you have any questions, whether it's to do with, um, I made the list for you, Roger, editing and production, of course, you know, how to record well, monetization, publishing, planning your show, uh, all the equipment from the microphones to the kit and so on, how to use your voice better, promoting, of course, and website and hosting. It's just, it's covered. And he still gets excited because I asked him. He's still curious about it and still kind of reviews and shares his knowledge. And I just think that it's wonderful to have someone like, like him in the UK, although he's currently living in Australia uh, for a short while because he, uh, he's working on a specific project and so on. But um, I just feel like, you know, the UK is doing so well that we should give, you know, people like Colin a shout out because with respect, you know, we, we don't have to necessarily always get the advice or the insight from the um, from the other part of the world. Do you know, I absolutely agree with you, Pascal, and I've known Colin for many years. He's given me a lot of encouragement for the Marketing and Finance podcast. Um, I've met him for lunch many times, a great uh, restaurant in Edinburgh called The Chop House, which we've met uh, for lunch a few times. I didn't realise he was going to Australia until I saw it on his Instagram story. Um, So best of luck with that, that year abroad, Colin. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that we sometimes, I sometimes feel inundated with American content creators, and and I'm not I'm not denigrating them at all. They all do incredible work, but sometimes I think that you know, come on, let's give the UK a little bit more promotion because we've got equally amazing people here doing equally amazing work. So. Definitely a well-deserved shout-out for Colin today. And I suppose uh, as, as a link to that, you know, for our viewers and listeners who are international, um, uh, thank you again for, for your support. It's kind of this idea of, you know, look at your local community, look at, you know, what's uh, on, on your patch and and can find a way to, again, you know, increase their visibility because I think in a way for all of us, you know, it's just the way in which the search engines and the social media and advertising budgets, you know, operate where it feels that there's a bias towards, you know, non, you know non-local content, so to speak. And, and maybe it is about creating the, the right balance. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Super. Well, again, you know, fine choice for these uh, content creator shoutouts. It is time now, Roger Edwards, to move on to film marketing. Excellent. Right, Roger. For film marketing, I think we might be talking about the best Christmas movie ever. The best Christmas movie ever. And that is Die Hard. And I know there'll be a lot of people out there saying, no, it's not a Christmas movie. But I am in the Christmas movie camp. And what I'd like, I'd like to resurrect this debate 
A lot of people say Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I think it is a Christmas movie. Please, if you're listening to the show or watching the show, tell us in the comments on YouTube or on Twitter or wherever you consume your podcast. Tell us, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or isn't it? (laughs) Excellent. So a movie that was released in 1988, Roger. Uh, Interestingly, I personally saw it a year later on VHS cassette. I didn't go to the movies. Did you see it at the movies by any chance? I did. I did. And uh, do you know, Pascal, it's one of the only movies, I think probably other than Star Wars, where I've gone and seen it again within a few days. I was utterly, utterly blown away by it. Um, I I, I think I went to see it with a girlfriend and (laughs) she suggested it. In fact, the memory's coming back now. She suggested we go to see this film and I never heard of it. I didn't die hard. Never heard of that. And Bruce Willis is some comedy actor in some silly TV series that I've never watched. So I I went along not expecting to be impressed at all and was absolutely blown away by the action sequences. I thought it had comedy moments and it had emotional moments and the tension and and the direction and the action sequences were just incredible and yeah I went back to see it again on my own uh, a couple of days later. I'm not surprised because actually uh, there was so much to take in. Um, It is actually uh, at the time was breaking a a few rules such as duration I mean Mm. this is on for more than two hours which Mm. I'm sure back then the theatre owners would have been annoyed because of course that's loss of earnings um, because movies should have been in around the the 90 or, or 100 million mark and this is this is much longer now for uh, the handful of viewers who have not uh, listeners who have not seen Die Hard, which I don't think is possible. Let me remind you that this is about John McClane, a New York City cop who's making his way to Los Angeles to try and reunite himself with his wife Holly Janeiro, who is working at the infamous Nakatomi Tower, and his plans to spend a lovely Christmas with his family are essentially thwarted by Hans Gruber and his band of nasty men. And wasn't Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, just one of the best villains in a film ever? Ever. I mean, oh, he was—he had that. Uh, it wasn't a very physical performance. It was—it was more of a—it's uh, just the delivery of his dialogue and, and the way he looked at, at the uh, <laughs> the people. But honestly, he was so so sinister and evil an incredible performance an incredible performance and i again i i pascal i i love that sort of the action sequences obviously uh john mcclain uh, manages to escape into the infrastructure of the building as the terrorists take over and he effectively wages a one-man war against the terrorists and he's climbing up elevator shafts and going through air conditioning um, ducts and that sort of thing uh, but he's, he's always making wisecracks but it, it never felt cheesy to me it just felt like this is him you know oh i've come to california we'll go to the coast have a few friends have a few laughs uh when he's being shot at and being and and being blown up and uh, i just love that combination of the sinister villain the action hero the comedy and then of course he he, uh he creates a relationship with a cop on the outside and they communicate with uh with cb radios and you know they they haven't met each other but they're supporting each other throughout the film and this cop's on the outside and he's on the inside and then of course at the end of the 
the film when they actually get together and, and realize and they see each other for the first time and they have this emotional moment again it, the, the whole film to me had lot i just can't count the the different ways that it blew me away absolutely and what is interesting through director john mctiernan that's what he does best he, he, i think he loves characters and, and character mm. arcs and so on and interestingly the year before he was asked to work on die hard he just worked on predator with Arnold yeah. schwarzenegger and legend has it that Arnold schwarzenegger was considered for the role of john mclean but john mctiernan was actually a little t- tired of that kind of first style of, of hero movie but i think he sensed as well that the 90s were approaching and you had to switch it a bit and mm. have someone that was more a, a kind of uh, you know normal guy but it just caught up in something that he's, he's doing his very best and actually the, the character gets quite a beating including stepping on broken glass oh, as yeah. one um which uh, leads to all sort of uh, and i think you're right you know that the wisecracks and one-liners is more because the character john mclean is just so fed up and annoyed and and stressed and scared it doesn't really come across as cheesy as maybe the early uh, 80s yeah ab- ab- absolutely absolutely it's uh, yeah again the, even even the the character his wife's character there was the 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 sort of office idiot the one who was <laughs> snorting cocaine i can't yeah. remember what his name was he comes to a sticky end during it you know, even the even the minor characters in the film were real people and real characters it's it's just such a great script it is uh I didn't know this, but you know the research is actually based on a novel. Mm. Uh, I, I firmly believed Roger that it was actually a script, and you know, people can create from scratch. And the novel is from 1979, and actually been passed around Hollywood, including um, Clint Eastwood, very nearly actually directed a version in the early 80s, but then got busy doing, doing something else. And uh, they also went through a fair amount of um, casting um, kind of duties to uh, finally settle on Bruce. Willis. You mentioned a moment ago that the guy wasn't really known. I think the year before he'd done, um, I'm going to say Blind Date with um, I'm going to yes. say, oh, who was the actress with him? Uh, name escapes me now. I'm going to say Kim Bessinger, but I'm wrong, I'm sure. Um, but he was known even in France for Moon Lightning, you know, the, the mm. series. So mm. that led to actually some interesting kind of tension because even the, uh, the, the production company and distributors thought hmm, we've got a guy that essentially uh, is a TV uh, actor and in funny how time has, has moved on because now working it on TV is the best thing people can do uh, so when they looked at marketing the film they only released actually posters with just the Nakatomi Tower blowing up yeah. and then some stripe yeah. lines and they took away the lead actor which Nowadays, looking back at Bruce Willis' career, seems you know incredible. And then, you know, that may but- that may be one of the reasons why I didn't know about the film, or maybe I'd seen the poster um, mm. before it was suggested we go to see it, and maybe I just thought oh, it's just a remake of the Towering Inferno or something like that. Oh, and your action is absolutely right. So for me, you know, I said. They didn't have faith in him, bless him, which is not very nice you know, when you're the you're lead actor. Then, of course, when the movie's time to work well, they very, very quickly went rushing around reprinting posters to then have his face. And then you have that uh, very iconic you know, look where he's looking through, I think, uh, uh, a threshold of a door and it's cut with a tower. And then you've got, obviously, uh, um, the text and so on. But um, w- what is interesting is, you know, the marketing was very, very low-key, which, again, for us looking, you know, talking about it in 2020, seems incredible 
world. But you know, they they released it in a few cinemas just to avoid you know embarrassment, and then it worked. And then quickly they they kind of were chasing their tails, but in a way that was a bit late. And thank God for word of mouth. Yeah, and of course there were some pretty good taglines, wasn't there? There were. Which leads me on to uh, a little request for you, okay. Roger Edwards. Um, now, this movie was the, was on the big screen, then VHS cassette, then you had multiple DVD releases, and each time they play with the taglines. Uh, and I think it should be, um, you know, as we're approaching Christmas, I've got a Christmas wish for you. I'd love for you to take on that kind of vote of a man type style and read some of the most popular taglines that we use on the cover of the DVD versions. And we may yeah. even ask Tima editor <laughs> to add some dramatic music. Are you up for it? Let's do it, Pascal. Okay, so deep voice. Here we go. So, he is alone, tired, and the only chance anyone has got. Twelve terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane. And that's the way he likes it. I love this one. 40 stories high, suspense, excitement and adventure on every level. And finally, an adventure that will blow you through the back wall of the theatre. <laughs> and, and you know what? It did. I, I said it before. When I was at the theatre the first time, it did blow me through the back wall of the theatre. So much that I went back again and watched it a couple of days later. So I've got to ask you, do you have copies of Die Hard in one of the many, many DVD releases and editions that they've, they've gone for? Absolutely. We've got a, We've definitely got a DVD release, and the DVD release has even got a, branch, a branched version where you can actually watch it and it'll add the deleted scenes back in. Oh, so that must, which be, we, which, yeah, that must be the 2003, therefore the 15th uh-huh. anniversary. Yeah, I think I've got uh-huh. that one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got a digital... Uh, version as well in in uh, in HD that uh, that I can watch um, either on iTunes or on Amazon or something like that. The movie is known globally. There were some very interesting uh, translation issues with the title because uh, <laughs> different territories, including France, Italy, Spain, and you know Russia, Die Hard doesn't really translate. I mean, there's something about the English language where you can be very direct and very to the point, which doesn't uh, work so much with Latin uh, languages. So in France, it was called The uh, um, Trap of Crystal or Crystal Trap. Uh, uh. It was called The Crystal Maze in some others, uh, alluding to you know, the, the broken glass and obviously um, how they shooting through through windows and that, and that kind of things. Um, but then obviously when they move on to Die Hard 2, 3, 4, 5, and it was no longer in the building, they got a bit caught up, but they carried on with the same title, um, <laughs> you know, what the hell. But one thing that they, that stayed, no matter the language, is of course the infamous Yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay, mother, which we can't say on this podcast no. for obvious reasons. Only because we're a bit of an Oedipus complex going on here. But, of course, when they did the TV version, they changed the rude word to kimosabi. So it was yippee kimosabi. And I can remember when it first came on TV and they said yippee kimosabi. And we all went, no, that's not what they said. <laughs> he actually said yippee mother. And I, I always get a bit annoyed when they do edits like that because, um, to me, it just makes people then shout out what, what they've yeah. edited out, and, and but hey. So the initial um, <laughs> releases internationally, they try and translate YPKA, 
But now, if you get a, a more recent print or more recent DVD, um, whilst you know the dialogue may be dubbed, the YPK now is back uh, originally. According to you know that, that special edition that you mentioned a moment ago, according to the interviews that John McTiernan and, and um, Bruce Willis gave, they had a bit of a, a back and forth whether it should be Yipitaye or Yipikaye, and I Ugh. think Bruce got Bruce Willis got his way and went for Yipikaye because I think he suggested that that's the way it's, it's said in where it comes from and i think that's the better version yes yeah absolutely yippee and of course yippee became the sort of one of the catchphrases from the series because he effectively says it in each film after that usually at the moment when he's about to dispatch the main villain of the piece it's always you know in the second one he he, he blows the plane up and it's yippee ah and the third one again when he brings the helicopter down it's almost like your toast, mate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it is a wonderful film, you know, and one thing I'm, I'm going to say to you is, in terms of film marketing, please, please, you know, let's take away that you've got to believe in yourself and in your lead, lead uh, actor. It, it feels criminal that, you know, Bruce Willis was taken off, you know, the posters and everything else for fear that, you know, audience would not engage. But the other thing is, you know, pay attention to your audience because when they kind of, you know, grab something and it becomes, you know, something that they could literally use for, for themselves, then you can go back to your content and, and improve upon it. Yeah, absolutely right. And again, you know what I said before about having a face for radio. You know, they, they didn't believe he had a face that would sell this film, but it became such a successful franchise, you know, and there's even talk now, you know, all these years later of a sixth film, you know, whether we'll see it, I don't know, uh, whether it'll be good, I don't know. But going back to that original launch in 1988, what an incredible film, which is one of the best films of all time. I, I, I can't, I can't think how many times I've watched it. We, pre we, we pretty much watch it on Christmas Eve every year because it is a Christmas movie, as I said at the start. You know, oh, the weather outside <laughs> is frightful. Dum-de-dum-de-dum, -dum -dum, delightful, and all of that sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, a, a conversion between uh, High Noon and Scrooge or, you know, uh, Christmas Carol in a way. It's just yeah. And it yeah. works well. And you've got to celebrate the work of the director, producers, and so on. It's also very well filmed. Uh, I will say that even though I like like pretty much all of them, with maybe some one exception, it is the one that uh, where the the cinematography, you know, the, the the way in which it's filmed, the, the use of light and so on, is at its best. Yeah, that bit at the end, towards the end, when he basically jumps off the top of the tower, he's, he ties a mm. um, it's a, a fire hose That's around right. his waist, and he jumps off the top of the tower just as the explosion goes off. And so you've got this massive explosion in the background. He's doing this jump. I think there might be a helicopter in there as well at some point. And he basically falls down the sides of the building mm. and then has to bash his way in through one of the windows. I mean, it was just it was just breathtaking. Absolutely. And it's still, you know, I, I, as I say, I've lost count. I must have seen it 20, 30, maybe 40 times. But every time I watch it, that particular sequence, it's just, <gasps> my goodness, here we go. Uh, well, I'm so pleased that we went for, for this one, clearly, because you're a big, big fan. So we began, obviously, this uh, film marketing segment review of Die Hard by suggesting that this is the best Christmas movie ever. 
we want your opinion and views on that. But just to leave you with something to, to take away, when obviously 20th Century Fox, who actually uh, provided the building, you know, Nakatomi Tower is obviously Fox's uh, headquarters as well. So let's keep it in, in, you know, within the family. But when they released, obviously, the 15th anniversary DVD that you have, Roger, um, they did say during the press release, yes, we agree, it is the greatest Christmas story ever told. So... Uh. <laughs> so there you are there you are it is a christmas movie <laughs> so this brings me to um the end of our recording for episode 17 of two geeks and marketing podcast once again thank you for your wonderful support please leave comments suggestions and feedback in the usual places until the next one please make sure that your marketing is done right i was pascal fintoni and he was roger edwards bye for now Thank you.